Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to the art of being you. Today, we are just going to dive right into the topic that we're going to talk about, which is a little bit different um, than some of the things that we cover on this podcast. Today, I'm putting my pastor hat on and I'm going to do a little bit of a teaching about accusation uh, that I think is going to be helpful for us as we navigate what it looks like to be the best version of ourselves with Jesus. Because this podcast is really about that. It's called The Art of Being You, and it's really designed to help you perfect being yourself. And, you know, that famous quote, you got to be yourself because everybody else is already taken. But I would say to you, you got to be yourself because that is the best thing that you can do. God was intentional with you. He was deliberate with you. Flaws and all, he wants you to be who you are. But one of the things that keeps us from being who we are is, for our purposes today, what I'm going to call accusation. And, you know, it is true that accusation exists between people And, uh, you know, I know that that's valid. I know tons of stories, including, you know, my own personal stories where people have accused people of things that aren't true. Um, And that's not necessarily what we're going to cover today. What I want to talk about today is the spiritual battle that we have with accusation and even maybe a spirit of accusation that seeks to hinder your ability to become everything that God has called you to be. Now, I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't stop right now and remind you that who God has called you to be is unique to you. So I'm actually not saying that you have to become like somebody or be, you know, a a person that's in your mind as sort of the person that you want to become. You know, we all, we all have those heroes, those role models, the icons, the people were like, I want to dress like them, all that kind of stuff. What I'm talking about is you becoming who you are, because that is the most important thing. So it may not look like anybody else and that's okay. But I'm putting on my pastor hat today, and I want to talk from an in-depth perspective about the devil. And I want to talk about some things that you and I do not have to agree on. So let me give you a quick background about my experience with the devil. Now, I don't think I ever thought that would be a phrase I would say out loud. But when I was a kid, some of you know this already, when I was a kid, I loved paranormal things. I actually did not know that God was supernatural with power. I knew that God was real. I knew that Jesus was the son of God. I did not know that God was a power wielding force. So I wish I did because I probably would have gravitated to stories like that, but I didn't. So I filled that need of my heart with things like R.L. Stein books. I was excessively obsessed with the Salem witch trials for a period of time as a kid, not to mention a gigantic obsession with the Titanic sinking, which is a whole other story. Yes, I was a weird, a little bit morbid, dark child. Um, You know, the thing is, When I look back at those days of my life, what I can see is that I had a thirst to understand supernatural things. And I think that's how God made me. 
And I was not in a position, you know, my dad had not given his life to Jesus yet. My mom was a part of a more or less cessationist community. And so I didn't have an opportunity to explore that with God. So I want to challenge you, if you are a parent and you have a kid that's like me and they really gravitate towards stuff like Harry Potter, they gravitate towards um, sort of magical, mystical things, really challenge them to pursue that in God, not in uh, entertainment in the world. But that's a podcast for another time. Okay, so all of that to say, I was a firm believer in the power of the devil. In fact, in a lot of ways, probably believed in the power of the devil more than I believed in the power of God. And fast forward to when I began my ministry in youth ministry, which was around 2002, and I started uh, volunteering in a youth group. And within a year or two, consistently, I would have a student that was gothic or interested in Wiccan. It was just a weird experience. They seemed to be gravitate. They seemed to gravitate towards me. And so I learned a lot about spiritual warfare uh, in in sort of trial by fire ways. Then fast forward that another year or two and uh, a girl had gotten saved through an outreach that our church did and she was a senior in high school and uh, was troubled, very, very troubled. She had been deeply abused as a child, a young child. And by the time that we knew her, she was on 13 different psychotic medications. She had been in and out of rehab facilities since she was 13 Um, she had been substance abuse. I mean, just very, very troubled story. And after she got saved, all hell broke loose and it was just crazy. And that's a lot of where I learned about spiritual warfare. So I could categorize the first 25 or so years of my life, maybe 29 years of my life, really understanding the power of the devil and not truly understanding the power of God. So to me, when I would come up against something from the enemy, my first thought was a jolt of fear. It was a jolt of reverence, like, oh, the enemy can really wreak some havoc. And he can. So I'm not trying to downplay that. But eventually I got to the part of my journey with Jesus where I felt like God challenged me. And he said, hey, do you want to learn how I see the demonic? Now, how can you say no to something like that, right? God's basically saying to me, I want to bring you up to my perspective, And I would say to you that at the time, I thought I was there. I thought I had that perspective because we all kind of believe the level of revelation that we're at is sort of the pinnacle, right? And uh, I was wrong. And so God began to take me on this journey where he began to show me, like I shared with you uh, in the first podcast of this season about um, how, you know, that crazy quote about God looking at demons as if they're his hound dogs. And I began to see that the way that God sees the world, he is not threatened in his own right. He does not carry this ominous, you know, he doesn't believe the devil is really that powerful. Can I just put it like that? Yes, he acknowledges the enemy has power, but he's not threatened by the power that the enemy has. I mean, Jesus truly rendered him useless and defeated. So that battle is already over. And that was over a long time ago. So from God's perspective, he's not concerned. He's not threatened in his power. And what I began to realize was I had to come into a perspective of who God was as a powerful force in my life 
as the most powerful force in my life and stop focusing on the power that the enemy had. That does not mean that I don't still do routine deliverance, that I don't still take authority over the strongholds and the attacks of the enemy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we hyper-focus on everything the enemy is doing, we actually miss out on the splendor and glory of God. It goes back to the three sides of every story podcast from a couple weeks ago. God is doing something even when the enemy is doing something else. So let's talk for a moment about who the devil actually is. Now, this is interesting. The word Satan, or what we would call the name Satan, in the Bible is not a proper name. So that's a little tricky because if we really look at the stories in the Garden of Eden, the the devil is referred to as the serpent. Um, There's a mention in Job where uh, he's called the Satan. But it's always usually listed as the Satan or Satan, I think is how it's technically pronounced. Um, It's not a proper name. So this isn't like Mike, you know, oh, Mike, he's such a bad guy. No, this is like a category. And it seems that it could be universally presented the word Satan to multiple different demonic sources. It's not until the New Testament that Satan takes on sort of the the banner name of all of the demonic world. Um, That really didn't exist in the Old Testament, which is interesting if you think about it. So it's the name Satan. It's not a proper name. And it really is translated into the adversary. The adversary. It's really kind of less impressive when you think about it like that. And where we get this from is in the story of Job, in the book of Job. And um, there's a, a mention towards the beginning where it says that the adversary or the Satan or Satan is looking for people, searching the world to and fro. And then it says that he he gets called an accuser. And uh, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the scripture right in front of me. But essentially what Job is, what the book of Job is saying is that there is this person in the heavens whose role is to accuse people. And he goes throughout the earth. We're just saying he, he may not, I don't know if he's a boy or girl or how gender works for for demons. I don't know. But um, we'll just say he for our purposes. So he goes throughout the earth and he roams the earth to and fro. And he's looking for people who are not following God. And he's looking for people who are following God. And then he goes before God on his throne and he begins to accuse them of their problems. So this is how Job gets into the hot water. He's bringing Job up to God on his throne and they're talking about how Job is living this amazing life. And the accuser basically says, the only reason why Job has such a great life is because you are protecting him. And so they reach this agreement. I the, the accuser basically is like, I'm going to go make his life a living hell. And then we're going to see what he's really made out of. This is really interesting for you and I in the context of our life with God. Because what this is saying is that there was a role, a, 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 a really a supernatural role of someone whose job was to stand before God and talk about the people on the earth. So if you're familiar with the concept of the divine council, which may be something that you've never looked into before, but one of my top three most all-time favorite books, and this one I believe will stay in the top three 
for my entire life is called The Unseen Realm by one of my favorite theologians, Dr. Michael Heiser. Now, I don't always agree with his theology, but there's only a handful of people on the earth who can actually read and and understand the ancient texts, ancient Hebrew, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but going back to, you know, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and all of that. Uh, he's one of a few people who can do that at his level. And so his understanding is really, really important. He's not reading an English translation like the Passion Translation or even like the NIV, which is not necessarily super theologically accurate. He's not reading that and coming up with this stuff. He's actually reading the original documents, translating them for people. And so I love his stuff. I'm a huge uh, I don't know, fan. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but I, I'm really fascinated by his perspective on the divine council. So I've got like 60 seconds to try to explain this concept to you. And I know I've talked about it in brief, uh, in different podcasts, but basically it's this idea that God has a divine council of different spiritual beings who help him rule the earth. And the Deuteronomy calls them the sons of God. And so there's like 70 of them and they were given different territories to rule over the earth. Now in the New Testament, those that have rebelled against God, they, they're what we call like principalities. So that's how this kind of translates into the language that you might know. But back before that happened, before the rebellion and everything happened in heaven, they actually functioned like a team together. They were God's heavenly family and then humans were God's earthly family. And so there was a person on this divine Council and Job points to this, the book of Job, whose job was to accuse people to God. Now, this might sound kind of interesting, and you'll just have to think about it a little bit and do your own research. You can go to Dr. Michael Heiser's website. He's got a bunch of articles on this kind of stuff you can read if you don't want to read the longer books. He is a scholar, so his writing is very scholarly. So, just a heads up about that. But what he basically says is that this is a role. This was not necessarily, now catch this. The Satan, the Satan, was not necessarily a role of evil, at least in the book of Job. It was like an assignment, like you have a, a team of people and one of them's the vice president, one of them's the treasury, one's the secretary, and one's the accuser. I mean, we don't have that in our day, but that's basically what this was like. And so he was doing his job by pointing out Job to God. It's really, really interesting. Now, what does this mean for you and I? So take this a little bit deeper. Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Okay, so if you're able to look this up, I encourage you to look up this scripture. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. What it's saying is that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Now, remember, this language is the same as what we see in Job, which gets loosely categorized as Satan and takes on this meaning as the king of the underworld. But that's not entirely an accurate picture. So, you know, there are multiple, um, my personal belief, and you don't have to agree with me on this, my personal belief is there are multiple powers of darkness that are all wanting to be the top. So if you think about this divine counsel of God, God has 70 sons that are like spiritual beings and many of them rebel against him. And so now they are principalities and they essentially, I'm just guessing here, pulling together a lot of different theology, but I'm, my assumption is they see each other as equal. So when we think of the term Satan, what we're usually thinking of is Lucifer as if Lucifer, the worshiping angel who was cast out of heaven, 
is the Lord over all of these different principalities. And at some level, maybe they're organized in that structure, but the Bible doesn't necessarily make that clear as day. What it's basically saying is the term adversary, the adversary, or the enemy, or even at some level, the accuser, all got wrapped up into this term we call Satan, which is not entirely accurate. Does this change the way that you and I are going to do spiritual warfare? I mean, yes and no. It's still, I think, effective to pray and bind up the works of the enemy, but I typically stray away from trying to call out specific things like, you know, I bind you up, Satan, primarily because I know that Satan, quote, is not a proper name of one person and also may not be the entity that I'm dealing with in that moment. So if I don't sense clearly from the Lord about a specific spirit I'm supposed to be uh, praying against, then I will just kind of group it into the works of the enemy or the demonic powers or whatever I feel led by the spirit. But I kind of stay away from grouping them all as if they're all under Satan, the overlord, because Satan may not be the same name as Lucifer. Are you guys tracking and making this connection? Here's where it gets interesting for you living your best life with Jesus. So Revelation 12 says, the accuser of the brethren is cast down. So the accuser had been standing before God day and night. And we might not know how to preface that unless we go back to the book of Job and realize This is the same thing. This is the same viewpoint. This is the same spirit that is basically this is its job. And now God has cast that down. So this accuser does not have access to come and accuse you before the throne of God anymore. It's been cast down. So any accusation that you are experiencing in your life is illegal. In other words... God is not really listening to it anymore. So for him to listen to accusation over your life, it's because, now catch this, you have partnered with a lesser spirit than God and you are using your position as being seated with Christ to amplify that voice which does not have a right to the heavens anymore. So when we accuse someone else then this is what we're doing. When we have a disagreement with someone and we just go out slandering them, talking behind their back, all that kind of stuff, this is what we're doing. We're lending our authority in the wrong manner. We're amplifying a voice that God has chosen to silence. But what I really want us to focus on is the accusations that come against you. So you I don't know if you've worded it like this or thought about it like this, but there are accusations around you. Stuff like, oh, you could never do that. Oh, no, you you don't have what it takes for that. Let's say that, you know, this is your year for healthy living and and making better eating choices and stuff like that. And so, you know, you get a day into it and it's it's okay. You get two days into it. It's it's a little bit of struggle. You get three days in and then all of a sudden the accusations come in. Well, yeah, you know, you're not going to be able to do this. It's all going to come. All the weight's going to come back. And that accusation begins to speak to you. What I want you to understand is that that voice has been cast down from God. Therefore, you have the ability to cast it down as well. 
So I don't know what is coming against you. I don't know what kinds of thoughts you're coming into agreement that are accusing you, telling you that you can't become your best self with Jesus, reminding you of everything that you've done wrong, reminding you of the times that you didn't obey when God asked you to, reminding you, we could go on and on and on. It doesn't matter what that spirit is saying to you. You need to recognize its voice no longer has a place in heaven. So this chapter, this uh, scripture, excuse me, in Revelation 12, 9 through 11 goes on to say, how do you overcome? How do you overcome the accuser now that he's trying to wreak havoc on the brethren because he no longer has a place before God to do it? Well, it says the word, the blood of Jesus. Remember the scripture, we overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony, and loving our lives not unto death. So what does this mean? Three ways you can overcome, and they all go together. First of all, by recognizing what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has cast this voice out. Jesus has uh, applied the blood to your life. You have power inside of you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You have that inside of you to silence this voice. The second is through the word of the testimony. So when you testify to what God has done in your life, you disempower the voice of the accuser. When you stand up and even in yourself to, to yourself, you say things like, Jesus chose to take the cross for me. Jesus chose to remove the, my sins from the equation. Jesus did, you know, you put the testimony onto Jesus of what he's done. You disempower the voice of the accuser because now he doesn't have a leg to stand on because really everything has been taken care of for you from the cross. And then the last thing is loving not your life even unto death. And what that means is that we surrender our life to Jesus. So one of the ways we, we let go of the accuser is in our surrender to God in obedience to him. When we choose to value his ways over our own perspective for how we're going to live our life. So I hope this is helpful for you. It's a deep dive. I know Uh, we're, you know, we're going a little long talking about this kind of stuff. If you have questions, please feel free to reach out to me and uh, you can ask them, find me on social media. Uh, uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. And you can ask me your questions. I'd love to help you with that. But primarily, I want you to understand that the accuser or the Satan had a role that no longer applies. And so you are no longer like legally obligated to listen to those lies. And I hope this is helpful for you. So I just want to wrap it up by praying. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your blood. Jesus, I thank you for your blood that you have poured out on us to cover us, to give us your grace, and to allow us freedom from every voice of accusation. And for those that have a situation unfolding in their life, like legal troubles and family difficulties where accusations are coming at them, we silence that voice right now in the name of Jesus. We bind up the accuser in Jesus' name, and we declare you no longer have a say over our lives. Father, we ask that you would turn those voices of accusation away from us, that they would no longer land. And Lord, I am praying over every person listening to this, that they would feel the power of the Holy Spirit rising up within them to do the warfare they need to do so that they can silence what you have already silenced and cast down from heaven. Lord, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for the testimony of what you've already done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. Until next time, be blessed.
So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.